Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Podcast. I am excited to talk about, uh, of course, we talk about all things real estate, investing, but one of the major aspects about coming into uh, particularly the real estate world or investing entrepreneurship, it really doesn't matter, is funding. And this can get complex for a lot of people. There's a lot of structures. There's a lot of evaluating deals and how you should fund them and everything. And I am super excited to do a deep dive today with Lance. And he is a consultant. He is a real estate entrepreneur. He's got a great background in this. So this is going to be a good conversation. And so I'm we're going to jump right into it without any further ado, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, AJ. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Uh, this is an amazing topic to talk about for me because I've been in a big change over the last year and a half now and how we're going about funding, analyzing deals. Um, and it just opened up my eyes to a whole new world that... I don't think I, I realized or I knew about, and that was probably holding me back a lot. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you about that. You have a lot of experience and a ton of knowledge in this this realm. Uh, but you know, before we get into that, t tell people a little bit about you so they know who you are and what it is yeah. that you do. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the founder and managing partner of a company called Veravest. I'm also a principal in a private equity real estate firm called Fairway America. We're based in Portland, Oregon, um, and I'm also the host of the Real Estate Risk Report. So it's kind of you know present day, uh, you know what I'm up to. I got into real estate investing in 2008. Uh, we uh, kind of the original roots were as commercial hard money lenders in the Pacific Northwest. So we were you know funding loans, average LTV 55 cents the dollar. Um, decided, you know, through the, the the global financial crisis to sort of pivot and become more, you know, private equity, real estate guys, you know, allocating capital into other strategies and sponsors. And, you know, we still fund some, originate some loans. But at that time, um, you know, as people were looking to take advantage of a lot of the distress in the market, we started getting more and more inbound phone calls from other real estate entrepreneurs asking about, you know, structuring investment funds. Right, like, how do we do this? We want to more efficiently capitalize our deal flow. You guys have been managing funds, and we realized that, hey, you know, we kind of have experience and information that people find valuable. Um, so we, we we created a fund uh, advisory practice where we would consult with people and help them kind of go through that process. We felt like it was a good way. It was kind of like being paid to conduct due diligence on potential, um, you know, partners. Right as we learned about their strategy and those sorts of things, and then we could bring some capital and, and invest from our funds uh, into their deals and those sorts of things. And so it really took off. And since then, we've advised and myself personally. I've probably done over, I mean, probably pushing 190 plus engagements um, of just helping people figure this stuff out. Right, like as they grow and scale, you know, how how do we how do you structure these things, right? Whether, you know, how do all the pieces fit together, right? Because it's not just, um, as you know, AJ, right? Like you and your family have 
you know, you've, you've financed with your own, you know, capital, most of your deals. And I think that's sort of that, okay, you know, other people see what you're doing. They want to get involved. You know, how do you structure the syndication? How would you use a fund? You know, how would you do JVs? I mean, all those different things sort of pop up. Um, and so that's sort of what, I mean, I, I always tell people I'm not good at many things, but this is sort of my thing. Like I get accounting, you know, we've got a fund administration practice. We've got a tax practice. I do this consultation. I get the securities laws. I understand how to structure these transactions. So I have kind of a unique, you know, mishmash of, of different experiences that, uh, um, you know, allow me to sort of help people through these processes. Well, and this is a interesting thing because most people I feel think, okay, there's a certain way you got to go about it. And it was like going into that world, it was a little overwhelming to me because it was just like so I, I thought there was a structure that you had to abide by and yeah. there's not. And so I found all these operators are doing different things and how they're structuring deals, right? And how they get investors, who they're getting money from, how that's all structured and depending on their circumstances. And mm -hmm. At first, that was a little overwhelming, but then it became, oh, no, this is actually really awesome because it means I can cater it to what I'm good at and it, I can I can morph this into it's not a one size fits all. And if I don't fit into it, it doesn't work. That's not it. You really yeah. can construct these things around um, how you need to execute on whatever your plan is. And, and I, that's just uh, really exciting. Where is if you're funding the deals yourself, it's one dimensional. You got a bank yeah. and you got yourself, right? Yeah. That's it. The bank says no. What do you do? Um, when you open it up in in different ways and funding and syndicating, it, it opens up a lot more doors. Yeah, it, it really does. You know, and I think that that's, I mean, everyone wants it to be some like silver bullet, easy way. Um, you know, I just, I haven't found it. I've, I've been searching for it. Right. I just don't think it exists. I think to your point, right. It's that what I, what I shoot for these days is sort of trying to create the maximum amount of flexibility for, you know, for, for operators. And it just depends, right? Like you've got, you've got people who, you know, are good at raising money. So they're more of, you know, allocator is more of their strategy. You got people like yourself who are, you know, you're really, you know, your, your skill set is acquisition and operations. Right. You're a business guy, as we've talked about before when I had you on my podcast. Right. I mean, self-storage really is it's it's more SMB than anything. Um, you know, you got to look at it that way. Right. And um, building brands and, you know, you got consumers and, you know, all these different things you have to contemplate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think so. One of the things that that I've looked at, I mean, it, it always comes down to, you know, alignment and, you know, and really leverage not not financial leverage but just um you know he who he who has a goal makes the rules and i think that this is what i try to help people with because what they think is a lot of operators or sponsors or you know deal guys they they think well i, I just want to go and get institutional capital i want a programmatic capital relationship like that that's code for i want easy button right and so i'm always trying to tell them like i get it like that makes a lot of sense but you need to understand that like money's fungible Right. And so it's a, it's a cost of capital issue. Right. And so you, you need to realize that if you go to one party and they're going to, you know, fund, you know, 90 percent of the equity requirement on any deal, they sort of get to make the rules. Right. And now whatever freedom you thought you 
you know you had or that you were in search of, you've just abdic- you've just given it up, right? And so it, it's just a big misnomer of because they come to me and they say, Lance, we've been we've done 17 syndications and we're ready to do a 250 million dollar fund, right? And you know, and <laughs> I'm like, okay, and where's that money going to come from? Institutional capital providers. So it's like, okay, you're telling me that. You want guys that are going to write, you know, ten, twenty million dollar checks in this two hundred fifty million dollar fund. So that's what that's what you're saying. Yeah, that that'd be great because then I just have the money I need to go do what I want to do. I want to do deals. I'm like, dude, it doesn't work like that. Like like these these people, they're not going to invest in your commingled fund alongside a bunch of other. Like that's that's way way down the road if ever, right? And I'm not even sure that you like the economics that would come along with that and the strings attached to that. Right. So it's just those are all the things that you have to sort of contemplate. Is that really what you want to, you know, to be to be doing? And 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 really, there, like I said, there's no one size fits all. So it's like transaction by transaction. It's more about how, how do I match my the deal flow that I have? Right. Which is which I think is the number one thing, like how much deal flow can you tap into and, and how much of that is realistic, not just. Well, I look at you know 500 deals, but how many deals could you actually do? And then trying to match the right, make sure you've got the right structures in place to, you know, plug those things you know in um, along the way. Yeah, it, it it's this is exactly was my experience. Like we were good at operating um, acquisition underwriting. We just like our skill set was. I could just look at a property and I could tell you what the value was. And I could tell you how much we can extract out of it. And we knew and it always played out because we understood from a fundamental point so well in that real estate asset class. And we had a lot of people then after we got to size saying, hey, we want to give you a lot of money. Like, I want to give you 200 million. I want to give you 300 million. I'm like, wonderful. You can give me the money. I can go build. I can go buy. I can write and everything else. It was very quick that it was like, oh, no. You're asking me to work for you. Like, yeah, that's right. That's and, right. And I'm disposable to you. Um, yeah. It was, you're looking at the asset class and I'm your employee that's going to run it. And that was weird to me because I'm like, you have the money. Yeah, but so do banks and everybody else. But you don't even understand this asset class. And yet I'm, I have to get on phones and things like that where you guys are grilling us over the asset class. You don't understand it. I'm spending hours trying to explain this to you. And it's this weird thing where they're like, I've got to, I got to check the deal and you're the problem standing in between us and the deal. Now for others, that's not how it goes and everything. But for me, because we were so efficient in that, that thing to feel that we were the ones standing between people and the deal. It's like, no, you don't understand. We're the ones that make the deal, right? The deal will be good because of us. And so we learned very quickly that was this, this, this idea of we're going to give you hundreds of millions of dollars came with, you know, a leash and whip. And it was not anything. My organization, we would not even be independent almost anymore. And so it took me a while to figure that out. And I had some, some help with uh, some friends that uh, walked me through it. Like Ashley Wilson, she's been on the podcast. She's an apartment developer was like, you're going after the wrong person. You need to go after the people that believe in you. And so they fund you. Then you find the deal and they say, is it a good deal? Great. Right. And it was once again, I just didn't understand the malleability in, first of all, investors, what they want, 
how they invest, um, nor my ability to. I just assumed that I had to go down that road. And if I would have, I would have been a very unhappy camper. Like that would have, because that defeated the entire purpose that I do what I do. Yeah, it, it does. And it's, it's a control rights thing. You know, I think it's, it really is that simple is that, you know, and you, and as you said, I mean, you know, you, you, there's a method to your madness. You take pride in how you operate facilities and those things that you do. And the bigger the investor, you got to understand that the number one thing on their mind is control rights. So for them, they're going, I've got a lot of money. You know, I, that's what I mean. Like oh, we're a family office and we've got half a billion dollars. Okay. Well, that's also code for, we're going to try to figure out how we can cram you down and get, you know, give you the capital and have control. Right. So you're going to have to abdicate the control and the discretion in order to do that. And it's just it really is that simple. So it's finding how can you how can you find and source capital partners, develop relationships with people where you don't have to give that up to me is really for most guys in this business, what they're looking for. There are those who are just they're just transaction machines and all they want to do is just transact. And, you know, maybe their core assets that don't require them to sort of you know, much on the execution side or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that it's bad. Like you got to yeah. do what you got to do. Yeah. But for most people, it's it's usually not in the cards. So it all comes down to, okay, how can we build an investor base where we don't have to give up control, right? Which is usually, you know, your high net worth individuals, you know, and hey, the, 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 the wealthier, the better. I mean, I'm all for that, but at, but figuring out how to do it, not at the expense of, you know, where they're going to want to stroke the entire check and and start making decisions about how you, you know, deal with that asset. And so one of the things I've been talking to a lot of guys about is, is the stair step, right? It's like indication's great, obviously, because you get people coming in 50, 100 grand at a time, you know, that the terms and the economics, you know, are pretty good for the operator, right? I mean, all things being equal, that money's not as expensive as an institutional investor. And then, but then if you want to sort of begin to scale up and have more flexibility is to add what I call a GP co-invest fund, Instead of thinking about it like, I'm going to stop syndicating and just do some giant fund where I get a bunch of LPs and I just do whatever I want to do, you know, the interim step is just start a five, $10 million GP co-invest fund and do, you know, do one of those a year. And it can basically be your source of capital for, you know, at least 10% of the equity in every deal that you do, which would allow you then on a select deal, maybe it's a bigger deal, like a 10, $15 million equity check, you know, a bigger deal you could do maybe. A JV, you know, 90-10 GPLP deal with one investor. Once again, all if, if you can get comfortable with the economics, or the fund could take down, you know, all the equity in the deal, you know, if if you wanted, but you have that flexibility to, to do that and bring the investor base that you've already brought in to say, hey, you can come into this GP co-invest fund and you know, we're not gonna promote you at the deal level, we're gonna only promote you at the fund level. And you can even add sweeteners like, hey, whatever we earn off of any other LPs, we might kick in 5% of the promote that we earn off of all the any other LPs in the individual deals, right? So for them, they get diversified exposure. You sort of start to build your fun track record, right? And it also gives you a lot more freedom to use some of those, the capital in the fund for pursuit costs. You know, I know like you've looked at, you know, some development stuff and those sorts of things, so that way you can, you know, it's not all just on your own balance sheet. You can kind of use that fund to get you into more deals. So it just, it starts to give you some of those things so that you can grow and scale your operation and have, at least have some capital to work with. And, and it just puts you in a stronger negotiating position, even when you're out there, you know, bidding on stuff where you have competition, like, hey, 
we do have capital in this fund. We could take we could take down all the equity in the fund right now. You could backfill it, right, and syndicate syndicate it out to bring the fund back down to ten percent. So it just it gives you lots of flexibility, um, you know, to to do that. But really to to really focus on building that high net worth investor base, which I really think the long run is the most valuable thing you can do, right? It's just yeah. because it's, it gives a lot of flexibility and you, you maintain control. Well, and, you know, I mean, that's really, for us, it was, that was the game changer, was our ability. And that comes with networking, that comes with getting your name out, that comes with explaining what you do, why you do it, how you do it, um, and to start creating mechanisms to accruing trust. Um, yeah. And that's really, really important when you're dealing with investors, uh, because that the more trust there is, the more that weight balance of control uh, shifts, right? And when you're looking for most people too, you're, you're talking about like smaller deals starting out, mm -hmm. friends and family, right? That's where you should start out because you can get those, you can put those funds together. You can do it and you start building a track record. And then it gets into how do I get more? I now I need more capital to keep moving forward, to keep doing this. And as your track record grows, the more control grows in your box. I think, though, too, if you look at it, when I'm looking at the landscape right now, there's a lot of blind funds going up. And, and I'd love to get your perspective on this because I, I've been debating this for a long time. So we don't have a blind fund. And a blind fund means all the investors come in and they, they're all putting in money. And then I have all that pool of money, right? And then I'm going to go find deals to put into the fund. Um, for me, I do one-offs. So I find a deal and I fund it. I find a deal and I fund it. And then I just have my investors ready to go. I send out an email and it's funded. Um, what are the pros and cons of doing it differently with investors? One-offs or blind funds? Um, I, I haven't seen yet for me the reason why I, I would be doing a blind fund. I, I worry about two things with that. I worry about, first of all, um, tying up their capital. The pressure that I have to go to actually do a deal which may not be amazing. Um, but that said, I've never done it. I, so I, I'm kind of a novice on that blind fund part. What are your thoughts? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's just, I mean, I think that's where that I feel like it becomes a bit binary to people, like single deal to, to full-on blind fund that's going to, you know, do it's sort of what I was like referring to. I, I think that, that, I mean, a couple things like that, what I call the GP co-invest fund is really technically a blind fund because the investors have no idea yeah. what, you know, deals that maybe they know that what the first deal would be um, in there. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where the more mature you become at some point, and, is, and you know this, is that there's sort of limits to, I mean, syndicate, let's say you had a deal a month. So doing 12 syndicated deals in a year becomes just, it's too much. Yeah. Right. So that's why I say the good interim step, because what then what people say to you is that if you try to go cold turkey off of syndicating each deal to a blind pool fund, that everyone's going to say, well, AJ, you've never managed a fund before. Right. So yeah. how, why would I put money into a fund? You, you've never managed a fund. So now you got to overcome the whole yeah. I've never managed one thing, which is, you know, is just annoying. Yeah. So that's why I say that this interim step is to basically 
at some point, if your volume and your deal flow is so strong, syndicating every single deal is just exhausting. Yeah. Right. So, so at some point though, but it's not, it's not, it's linear a bit, right? Like anyone is your, cause you've got all these other constraints, asset management, deal flow, legal resources, your ability to do whatever. So when you look at most real estate guys, it's not this hockey stick exponential. It, it's much more linear, right? In, in terms of how they grow um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so I, I think that at some point, the way I look at it is that I've seen guys do this, is that you go through this progression of you syndicate each deal, you add a GP co-invest fund, and then you start to shift it to where you, you're, you're getting more capital into this blind pool fund over time. And then, you know, it can take down more of the equity in the deals. And pretty soon you're syndicating less and less and less. And now all of a sudden it's just, it's a lot more efficient for, for you and you've made the transition. And, but I think that speaking to your, you know, there are, there, there's, it, it's real. Well, if you get all these commitments into this fund, first of all, you only need to call the capital in, you know, when you need the capital. So if let's say that you did go out and you got 30 million in commitments from people, it's not like the money sitting in your bank account, just, you know, doing nothing. Now, those investors who committed the 30 million in capital need to be ready to, you know, send the money in, you know, over the next two or three years when you do call it. Right. So they've got an issue of like, where do I keep this money? And then, of course, there is the issue if you get all these commitments like we're seeing right now. I mean, this is a real problem right now because all these big giant funds out there, they went and they went and raised. They've got, you know, billion dollar fund that they've got these commitments and they were expecting all this distress to happen out of COVID that hasn't occurred. And it doesn't it's not looking like it's going to be what they thought it was going to be. They've got all this dry powder that they're not going to be able to deploy. So now. The issue you said was that, you know, they're this. You know, how disciplined are they going to be? Like, are they going to start buying stuff and overpaying for things because they're just, you know, they got money burning a hole in their pocket, right? Like that's. But I think for most guys in what I call middle market, you know, or guys like yourselves, or probably many of your listeners, it ends up being more of a just-in-time deal anyway. Like your deal flow start already substantiates it. A deal comes up, you call in the money, you do the deal. It's just that you don't necessarily have to keep, you know syndicating every single deal that you have, you might be able to, you know, take down a whole deal. And so we see a lot of that backfill stuff too. I mean, where the fund has enough capital, you call it in, you do it, and then you backfill, syndicate it, you got the next deal. So it's just, it's about efficiency to me. Yeah. How can you just be more efficient in how you, you know, take your deals down? Yeah. And that makes sense because volume's a totally different game. Yeah. The, yeah. You start stacking that up and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, we're running around like crazy trying to get this all done at once. And two is I, I know also with deals, um, some of my deals, it's like, Hey, we're funding tomorrow. Like it's, there's no time. It's, we've got to get this. We got to take it down. Right. It's, and if you, if you weren't a hundred percent sure that deal has gone and it's going to yes. go to somebody else that has the capital ready. Yeah, you, you got it. So, I mean, that's, it, it's, I mean, it's all like I say, it's about this alignment issue of just of being cognizant of the fact that yes, okay, there's no such thing as perfect alignment. And there is going to, that's why going back to you, like it's about trust. I do think transactions of trust. And when you're a passive investor and you're vetting someone, the, the, rea the reality is that you don't always know if they are truly disciplined, right? Like, and you don't know if they're going to do the right thing when no one's looking. Like we're already all pregnant with that. that. That's we all have to deal with that is that I'm giving money to you and I just hope that you're going to do the right thing. That's why it's so important to make sure that you only do business with people 
that you truly trust and, and you really understand what makes them tick, right? That's yeah. the hardest part. But, you know, after that, um, you know, it just comes down to, yeah, if you're the passive investor in this case, like we talked about, you're abdicating decision-making, you know, uh, to, to AJ, yeah. right? So you yeah. better make sure that you believe that AJ is good at what he does and you trust him. No, absolutely. Well, let, let me talk a little more about what you're seeing going on. Like in, in the world of real estate investing, capital and everything, where, what are you guys seeing? Where we're at? What, what are the markets doing? We're in such a weird place, right? It's yeah. like money is free. There's lots of it. Um, I feel like the United States is a tale of two cities at the moment. Some places are doing great. Other places are dumpster fires. And um, what are you seeing from real estate investors as well as operators? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm seeing is and hearing is just super competitive, right? Like for, for the guys who have that discipline we talk about, they're having a really, really hard time finding deals that pencil, right? Like it's just can't find deals that pencil. Now, it does seem that some of these guys and what we talked about when we had you on the show and your strategy, right? It does seem like guys are able still to go in and find well-priced assets like self-storage in, you know, tertiary markets or what or whatever, right? But of course that requires that you are comfortable with the strategy Right. So, so guys that are sort of, you know, straying from the, the core, the, the gateway markets or whatever, right. Yeah. Like, you know, that might, that could be equal danger, right? Like they might not really know what they're getting into. Um, so you're seeing more transactions of that kind, you know, in sort of, I call them tertiary markets, yeah, um, third tier markets, but yeah, it just seems like, like you said, right now it's just capital is, is everywhere. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to, you know, to, and of course, multifamily, very hot. I mean, so we're seeing people are trying to get into deals, right? Like, which is, you know, which is a bit odd when you think about it, because I mean, I know the pricing's held up, but it's still like, it, it feels like the cycle is going to cycle on us, right? It, it's still, yeah. it, it, it's still going to de depress off of this. And so I guess it just goes back to, if you're a good operator, then you've already built that into your pricing and, you know, all those things. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm hearing on a day-to-day -day basis is just like, man, people are like, can't find a deal worth doing. It's frustrating. Um, lots of competition. Guys are doing dumb stuff, overpaying for things. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what, what, stuff. what about um, asset classes? Where are people looking? What are people viewing? What do, what do people want? Yeah, it's multifamily, mobile home parks, self-storage, industrial probably in that order. Um, you know, these, these conversion, you know, see more of these sort of conversion types of projects, you know, converting hotels into multifamily, you know, work, workforce housing is, it just seems like that's all I hear about is workforce housing. Um, uh, you know, build, build to rent seems to, you know, people are high on build to rent and, you know, there's a, it's just, what's crazy. It's just a crazy time, right? Like, that the housing, the I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah. Like there's just the housing shortage. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, obviously we went in the deep freeze for so long there, right? Like, yeah. so there was already a shortage, right? And then you go in the deep freeze and you don't build anything for however many years that was. And now this sort of thing happened and it's still, there wasn't enough being built. And, 
And now people are obviously moving away out of places that were constrained on housing to places that they're even, you know, like they're moving from San Francisco to Tennessee or whatever. And they're just making, it was already a problem in Tennessee. Now it's becoming exacerbated or Austin or, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So it's nuts. And two, that's combined with the skyrocketing and in, in pricing as far as materials go. So I yeah. talked to a lot of developers who are like, geez, prices at this high for housing, they're going, it scares me. It scares me to build something this expensive right now. So I, I feel like there's also, you know, I've talked to one of the largest house builders on the West, and they said in 2007, their inventory of houses at any time in just one state, and this was their smaller state, was hundreds and hundreds ready to be sold. Um, they said it's down to like 10 in that state. It's basically zero. Yeah, it's basically zero. And they feel comfortable there. As in they're like, we're not doing that again. So we're not going to yeah. go do mass developments or builds. That's right. And yeah. so it's they're like, we don't mind the fact that housing prices are skyrocketing. It doesn't bother us. It doesn't do anything to us. We have no incentive now to go out and build. All our competitors went bankrupt. So it's it doesn't seem like this is a problem that's going to be solved anytime soon. And at, I mean, I'm building a house right now. I sold a house. Uh, I'm in Boise, Idaho, which is insanity. It's just crazy here. There's no houses. Um, everybody's moving here. Uh, I, I mean, it's we'd never say we had one quarter where housing prices went up over 12% and in a quarter. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, when you look at it, 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 our, our cost of materials here in lumber and metal, everything else like that is just going so high that even people to go out and build their own house right now, they're looking at the cost going, geez, I, I don't know about this. A lot of people can't get financing. We have, you know, Boise, we don't have high unemployment. We have very low unemployment. I think we're at the lowest in the nation right now. Um, and uh, so our economy's hit with that too. Like everybody can afford, everybody has uh, cheap income, and then everybody's moving here. Um, and this is in a lot of different cities that we're in and we invest in currently. Um, you see this obviously in areas like Austin. You see this uh, in, in Nashville. You see this in uh, Reno. You see this in you know these these second tier tier markets, Salt Lake. Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, and when you look at these areas where the primary buyers are Californians. The mass exodus, right? Like it, it's something crazy uh, here in Idaho. It's it, you know the highest percentage ever of homes that are being bought in cash. Um, and also, with that said, the, when you're talking about in a short period of time, housing prices have doubled, and yet the um, percentage of people buying in cash is at all time highs. And so you, you, it's this weird fragmented market that these first tier market people that are coming out of LA, San Diego are selling houses at all time highs. And then they're coming and purchasing in sub markets uh, in cash, which is driving up prices because of lack of inventory. And it's creating housing crisis across the board in these markets where great migrations taking place and, and, and people are going. Um, and it makes you wonder what effect that's going to have like I always say, man, we're just a couple points of interest rates away from a flipping depression. Uh, you know, yep. it, it, two, in, two, in, 
two-point increase in interest rate today, our economy yep. would be over. Yep. Yeah. And no, you're right. and nobody that, could afford think, anything. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And see, and that's what I think is just people are, when, it, when, when you get these situations where things just don't make sense, that is when you need to slow down and proceed with caution. And like you said, those home builders, they all got their, you know, you know what handed to them the last time. They're like, dude, we don't like, we don't like the signs here. You know, the building, co- I mean, we're going to get stuck with this stuff. Like, yep. it's just too, it's too risky, right? Like, I'm just going to sit over here and go slow and wait to see what the heck happens here. Because that's, it's also unprecedented where it's even trying to find another situation in history where you had this sort of thing going on. You can't find it. So there's, it. there's really no, not much precedent. No, there's to no precedent things. to walk out of this. It doesn't yeah. exist. I, I mean, the United States, basically for the first time, you know, the government took over the economy. We, I mean, we thought it was insane in 2008 when they took over the banks. Yeah. Now they're just sending checks to people to live on. Yeah. And yeah. two, they're doing it in a time when the economy in some areas is exploding. So yeah. you got areas like Texas and Nashville and Florida and Idaho yeah. and, you know, that are just there. It's the highest boom they've ever seen. And people are getting checks of thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, which then just leads further to the boom. So what happens when interest rates rise and checks stop coming in? And so it's an interesting thing because we had a clear path, I feel, in 2008. We took over the bank. We're taking on bad debt. We're going to reduce the balance sheets. We're going to free up the be- uh, the banks. We may not all be happy about how that went down, but there's a path forward right? There's a path forward to get out of this. The banks are going to end up better off and everybody's going to be pissed because of it. But we have a clear path on how to get out. Um, I don't see that at all right now. There's no one in the government's talking about how we're going to wean off sending people paychecks and how we're going to wean off free money and how we're going to wean off all this other stuff the the country's doing it, what is we thought was horrible. And two, also it's government caused. This isn't a debt crisis. The banks are doing great. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it is. It's very unprecedented. But that adds fuel to the fire, like you said. Then everybody's like, well, we're just not going to add one in more inventory. We're just not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And prices yep. just keep going up. So when you're looking at this, I think that's where you see this boom in workforce housing because people know. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking right now saying it, demand, first of all, if this interest rates go up, all that means is that more people can't afford homes. Right now, people can't yep. afford homes. There's no homes to buy. Interest rates go up. Those same people now can't afford homes. So no matter how you look at it, nobody has a place to live. <laughs> so <laughs> workforce housing makes so much sense. Like I mean, the runway in some of these cities on rent increases is going to simply depend be dependent on how much they can squeeze out of the, right. the, the people that live there. That's um, right. So, I, you know, we are in a really interesting situation. I like to hear what other fund managers and other people like that are thinking because um, nobody has it figured out. And um, I think from what you're saying, and which I agree with, the housing problems are, are not ending anytime soon. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that's what I say. It's just it's important, I think. And, and it's, good, it's, it's good news that we're seeing more and more people take – investing in general seriously, right? Instead of, once again, the whole abdicating it to some wealth manager or whatever. I mean, I think that's good. I think that if if, if you're a human being, you need to learn how to become a good investor these days. Yeah. This is just- It's part of life. 
mm-hmm. part of life, right? And so that's why, like, I, you know, guys like you with your podcast and mine, I mean, obviously all we talk about is risk, the real estate risk report. Like, it's just, it, it's risk is inherent in everything we do. It, it's it just, you've got, you have to figure out how to assess it, right? Which isn't a, it's not a perfect science, right? But it's understanding what, what the risks are and then deciding whether or not, you know, like that, that makes sense. You're going to be compensated for the risks that you're about to take. Well, like, um, like I tell people, it's not about getting rid of risk. It's about no, managing no. it. Yeah, it's about managing it, mitigating it, understanding it. And that's what this is. And that's what's hard. Like we just said, it's difficult. It doesn't all line up when you think of all the things you have going on at the macro and micro levels, you know, like the kinds of, it's weird. It's, it's hard to sort of to figure out, but you know, you need to pick, pick your spots. Obviously, you know, we're going to be in, it's in an inflationary environment, right? So, you know, you're going to have to figure out where to park your money so that you can basically, you know, that you you can at least be earning enough to outpace inflation. Right. I mean, like it's Mm -hmm. just, well, and one of the things too, and I don't know, maybe fun man for us, dude, we're, we're all micro, like it's just micro to the extreme. I'm looking yeah. at individual cities. We're looking at blocks. We're looking at supply, demand, rent spreads in that individual market. And as far as the macro goes, obviously, there's regions, the United States, that yeah. we just avoid. But other than that, I'm like, what is going on in that that one area? And two, we don't do anything for future. So I don't build for future demand. I don't yeah. look at the future. I'm like, if there is not a lot of demand there today, I don't touch it. Because yeah. I just cannot predict what's going to happen next year. Well, it's called speculation. That's yes. you know that's the issue. You 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 need to minimize that. And I like that. That's your philosophy. I, I've always it, it's that's the, it's. Hey, I'm going to go someplace and buy something where it's it's a problem I'm solving by buying it yes. and taking you know like I'm going to take advantage of that. Not well. I mean, I get it. Like I'm in the path of progress. And those things are important, right? But it's just it, it's it's the whole. You have no idea, yeah. right? Like, and just yeah, betting on the come, like, oh, this, if I go here, then this is going to happen. I mean, those, what they call those are very called developers, right? And yeah. they're a different group. Like yeah. those, those dudes, like, you know, like true developers, they, they're visionary guys, they're dreamers. They love that stuff. Hey, teach his own. We, we all get a benefit from the fact that they exist. Yes. But man, that's a different, that's a different animal. It is a different animal, different breed. And I, and I develop, but I don't consider myself a developer because I develop based upon operations and very, very localized right. demand. That's right. Yeah, you go and say, there's not enough storage here, period. Yeah. Like they want it and I'm just going to give it to them. Yeah. And, and I got the vertical to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I and I could do it at this cost. And here's the revenue. It's it's very simple, yeah. very high returns, and very very calculated. Um, and you know, it, when we look at the macro, really, we're just looking at super long term trends. Like, and it, it, when I look in, in areas, and I and it causes part of the problem. Like, okay, Boise is going to be bigger in ten years. Just is right. Yeah. I mean. Salt Lake City, like Boise will be Denver. Boise will be Salt Lake. Nashville, right, is going to be Atlanta. It just is, right? Florida, there's regions of Florida that are not going to stop growing because these are these are huge macro long-term trends, right? We we don't bet on places that we think are peaked out, right? Wait, we don't touch California, right? That's I find a lot of operators feel that way. Unless they live in California, most people are like, we don't go there. It's a different world. I just don't understand it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. but it, it's, we look at those long migrations um, and we're looking at upside because at the top of the market where we're at, 
when they, when, I, I feel like when it crashes, right? Like I, I need to be able to say in 10 years, it's going to bounce back and even keep moving up. Um, and in some of these first tier markets, it's, it makes you, you just kind of go at this point, where does it have to go? Um, and now they always go up. They always do. People that invest in LA, they, they, they're, they're always great, but that's just not, I, I feel like for most people, that is not the game they should be playing. That's right. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's just, it's, and for a lot of those guys, too, the people that are in those markets that are the savvy, you know, sharps investors, I mean, they pretty much already laid claim to it. Yep. Right. So, you know, I think that's the other piece of it is just someone coming in and deciding they're going to get in on that. Like it's, you know, it's, it's challenging. And like you said, it's just, it's more volatile. So you have to have a stomach for it. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of this comes down to is just, it, it is about those things. And most of us as real estate investors, one of the things we really like about real estate is its lack of volatility. Yes. Right. So certainly you sort of, you, you kind of avoid, you know, Las Vegas and California and, and uh, West Texas and, you know, things that can, that just are inherent, have inherent volatility are sort of like, eh, you know, yeah. I'm not really, not really into that. Don't have the stomach for it. Yeah, right? exactly. And, you know, my, I guess my question for you would be somebody that started that starts up in this and here's my perspective somebody that's getting started in this in the world of real estate and everything they can get paralyzed right as in they're just like I just don't understand what's going on and I think first of all anybody that actually says that they do they're just making crap up because nobody actually yeah, knows yeah. um but uh, it comes down to managing that that risk, so to speak. But I, I also find that, too, it goes both ways. You're going to be paralyzed when times are up, and you're going to be paralyzed when times are down. When we got started in real estate, times were up, right? It was in the early 2000s, um, and then we got out of it in 2005. But then when when times were down, so when we hit 2010, uh, 2009 and 10, when I got back in it, I was told by 95% of the people. What are you Very doing? Like, crazy. you're crazy. Like, we are in the middle. Like, real estate's yeah. not coming back. It's just not happening. Like, you're <laughs> a moron, right? Yeah. And I feel like those are the same people that at the top are like, it's going to come down. It's going to fall yeah. again. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? You're right. It is. It's going to go up and it's going to go down. Go down. Yeah. It's, that's, it, that's, that's how it works. And I feel, yeah. for me, focus on the micro. Why ride the, micro. the waves. Yeah, that I I think that that's that's what I tell everyone that I talk to is just like okay, don't do that. You 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 need to do your research. You need to pick a strategy. I call it conviction, and you go there and you put your ear to the ground and you learn everything you can know. You talk to everyone, develop every relationship that can be developed. An opportunity will find you. Okay, like that's I mean that's just not real estate. That's everything. It's just listen listen to what's going on and do you know and and then do that right so but what happens is that if you're distracted and scattered you're like i think florida's great and i think tennessee's great and i think boise's great and i think because i heard agents say go to boise whatever it's like dude okay just pick a lane right like go to boise if you like it you see what it's there as you just said it's gonna grow i mean you'll be able to make that assessment is there room here to grow is this make sense right like that's what i mean that's investing and then basically commit and don't, you know, scatter at the first sign of like trouble or yeah. it's just, it's, this is a long game, man. Like long you can't, game. it's a long game. It just, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that that's what it is. It's called conviction. It's believe in yes. what you're doing, believe in the market, believe in the community. You know, you go to yes. voice, like, these are my people. I want to grow it. I'm planting my roots here. 
this is where we do business. I'm going to, I'm going to figure that out. Right. Like that's how it goes. Right. But you have to pick a lane, man. You got, you have to. Yeah. And and two, the thing about it is also not just picking a lane, but sticking to the fundamentals. Like, Like when people look at like, well, okay, what are you looking at the market when you're crying a storage facility? I'm like, I look at who's running the storage facility. Like, you know, I focus on the fundamentals. All, all I care about is demand. And when I analyze that facility and see what I can do with revenue, can I bring yeah. revenue up? Can I bring it down? Right. Everything else. Right. I'm not looking at, you know, when we're doing a uh, big conversion in Michigan or something else like that, I'm not pulling out a historical thing and looking at the uh, the the average income. I'm not looking at the employment of X and X. I'm like, no, I'm not looking at that, right? Yeah, it, we do take things like that into account, but that's not my first stop. That's not what I, if the fundamentals are great, I'll get onto that stuff. But I think people create weird investing philosophies. I'm going to go do. to a market that has X percentage population that has two children per family that has medium income of this, that has a, you know, and I'm going, what does that have to do with the real estate? Like, what what does that have to do with the house that you're renting out on that corner block? Yeah, it's, I think right. they get lost in it. I think so too. That's what I mean. Like that it's, it's a part of the thing, but it, it, like you said, it just goes down to, okay, now there's, now that I've got in here, here's an opportunity. It is fundamentals. It's all about the fundamentals. Yeah. Now I know there's other schools of thoughts, but guys like you guys like me, I'm a value investor. I'm yeah. a, it's all about the fundamental. Everything is about the fundamentals. Yep. Right. I only invest in things. It's Warren Buffett. I only invest in the things that you understand. Yep. Right. It's only things that you can make sense of, that you can assess those things and you feel like you can buy it at a good price. That's what it comes into. Yeah. It's mismanaged. They haven't done this. They haven't taken advantage of that. Those are fundamentals. Therefore, I can go in, execute my plan, add value, build, you know, and increase the, the values or enterprise value of the operation. That, that's how it works. Yeah. What me and Lance are saying, you don't find deals, you create them, right? It's like, yeah, you, know, you really make it work. You, you get in, in there and do stuff. And uh, yeah, this is just a, this is going to be a topic, I think, probably for this year to to come and what's happening. You know, we may be on this podcast in six months saying, can you believe that happened? Nobody saw that coming because that's how yeah. it was last year. And, yeah. uh, you know, or on. which too, once again, when you're in that lane and you're proficient, I mean, when the lockdowns first happened, we got our we we got two of our best deals under contract that we had gotten in years. Like the market evaporated. And all of a sudden we had one month, just one month, the CMBS market started to shut down. And immediately it was like there's this property that had had it on contract. They left. The bank's like, we got to get rid of this. And we're like, we'll take it. And it was like the fundamentals, the micro made sense. We'll figure out everything out of the way. Same thing in another city that we liked. We got those two. A month later, everything immediately turned around and skyrocketed. And when you don't have a lane, like you were saying, you don't know the fundamentals, you can't act when it's time to act. So then you sit around wishing, oh, I wish I would have had that opportunity. And you're like, we didn't sit around wishing we had an opportunity. That's not how it works. It's not like somebody brings it to you on a golden platter. You got to be yeah. ready to act when others aren't. Yeah, that's right. You got it. That's right. And I think too, on your end, money follows it, right? Money follows it. Money follows it. All these things we talked about, money follows those things. If 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 you're not those things, you shouldn't be surprised when it's hard to raise money or whatever, whatever. All these other things, 
it's that's why I say like it's just I get it. There's complexities with structures and these funds and all this stuff, but people fall in love with that stuff. It's funny because they come to me because they're like, you're the expert in all the stuff that is funds. And all I spend the time talking about is the stuff we just talked about. Yeah. I'm like, dude, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's I, I say that's why I call them vehicles. Vehicles get you from point A to point B. That's what its job is. You hopped on the bicycle to get from point A to some point B. You got in the car, you got in the plane, you got in whatever. I know some are, some vehicles are more fancy than others, but fundamentally its job is to transport. Well, right? And, and, and if somebody comes to you, if somebody comes to you and they don't know where they're going, then you're like, I don't know whether to give you a Ferrari or a Hummer because a Ferrari is not going to make it up the mountain, dude. Like it, it, that is, it. that is not even real. It's just like, forget about it. What are you doing? I know. Pick That's the right. lane and then get the vehicle that goes That's, in that lane. You've got it. And that's what I say to them. Like, sounds to me like you haven't really picked a strategy yet. So really, there's nothing to talk about. You don't need a fund. You need a strategy. You need yes. conviction. Right? Yes. Like you, you need something else. And I'm like, I can't give that to you. I mean, I've got people call me like, what do you think of Albuquerque? What do you think of whatever? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I know one thing. It's hard no matter where the hell you go. Like, I just know that much that it won't be easy. Yeah. It'll be 10 times better than you think. I don't know. Like, that's how I'm wired. I just assume everything I do to move it forward will be way harder than I ever anticipated. And, you know, focus on the things that matter, yeah. right? People will send me deals and they'll give me like an outline of the deal, like how much it costs, revenue, and the market. And they're like, is this a good deal? I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know <laughs> this deal. And I'm universally like, either I don't know or just no. Like, because yeah, a good deal to me doesn't mean it's a good deal to you. Yeah, that's exactly right. That that's exactly right. It, my 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 famous last words is that it depends. It depends. Yes. <laughs> it depends. Be, be written on your gravestone. It depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> is Lance going to heaven or hell? It depends. It depends. Yeah, <laughs> oh well, hey man, I'm not going to tie up any more of your time. <laughs> it's been an hour, and it, yeah. as you can see, this stuff is like the, it, it's like chewing gum for me. Right. Like I could literally sit and talk about this all day long, all day long. I, I could go all day long because I feel that it's like it's like flexing my brain muscles around these concepts, around these questions that can't be answered. But then going back to the basics and the strategy yeah. and it comes down to this stress testing. OK, well, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, are my fundamentals going to support that scenario? If it doesn't, what will the fundamentals do? Because right, changing those fundamentals is leverage. That's all it is. In good times, the leverage is really big. And yep. in bad times, to me, it's my margin of safety. Yep. Right? That's my moss right there. That's the, the right. spread. So yep. That's right, man. That's it right there. Thank you for being my intellectual chewing gum. That's kind of weird. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm always willing to do that, man. But I'm with you. I, 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 you know, I'm with you. I like to nerd out on this stuff. So yeah, I, I appreciate the time, AJ, for having me on. Uh, uh, where, where can people go to find out more about you? Go pick your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to the real estate risk report.com. That's, uh, that's my podcast. Or you can go to uh, verivest.com um, and find me there. Email me, Lance at verivest.com. Right on, man. Hey, appreciate it. And in six months when the world completely changes, we'll, we'll talk about it again. Yeah, sounds good. All right, AJ. Take care, man. Good catching up.